0: to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Coming up right now we have Living Writers, hosted by T. Hetzel. Today's show is a read broadcast of a 2011 interview with Sarah Marcus, a musician and author of the book Girls to the Front, the True Story of the Riot Girl Revolution. Be sure to stay tuned to WCBN tonight at 9 p.m. when T. will do a live interview with members of Pussy Riot, the Russian punk rock group. That's here on WCBN. You can also catch these members of Pussy Riot tomorrow at 5 p.m. at the Michigan Theater as part of the Penny Stamps lecture series. In the meantime, keep it tuned here to WCBN-FM.
1: to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel and today I'm so pleased to have Sarah Marcus here in the studio. I should say that we're we're taping the show. It's February 15th, the day after Valentine's. And Sarah, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, T. And so you're you're coming, you're you're um you're you're doing some tour dates for the the well you've got a book, Girls to the Front, The True Story of the Riot Girl Revolution, and it seems like you've probably been it was launched launched last year in um yes, october. So, so okay. So, it's but we're so thrilled to have you here in town. You've been giving um a a reading, a talk with a and a um and doing part of your your video uh sort of videotapings of uh talks around the nation cuz weren't you just in was it Philadelphia?
0: Yeah, I was in Philly last week and that was really wonderful. There was a... a panel discussion at the University of
1: Pennsylvania there. So, but, okay, so you're in, you're in Philly on a panel and this was actually available on, um, was it, is it girls to the front.com and you've got a blog,
0: right? My blog is just com, And that's where I put up the video, which was, um, really great because I was on a panel with fabulous um, activists and musicians, including this woman, Katie Otto, who's in a band called Trophy Wife and Beth Warshaw Duncan, who founded the Girls Rock Camp in Philadelphia, and Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill. Um, and I was I was moderating this panel, and it was really fun, and the room was full, and everybody was really smart, and I was extremely happy that it was videoed so that it can now be watched online, although it's an hour-long, and I don't know if anybody ever watches an hour-long video online, but, you know, you can skip around. People say smart things,
1: and and I will say the introductions are really long, like the, for the beginning. So you might want to mm. um, from because the people had to frame the event that they right, were right. giving as well. But but it's it's great. So your blog. When did you start your blog, Sarah? I started the blog when the book came out. I can't
0: pro- I can't claim to be a very prolific blogger. Um, I'm still kind of working out how to get that into my schedule along with everything else. But when I go away and meet amazing people, that usually gives me an impetus to put something up on the
1: Tumblr. Yeah. Well, before we go any further, I'll read your short bio and then we'll fill in some pieces. That sounds good. Sarah Marcus is a writer and musician living in Brooklyn. Her book, Girls to the Front, the true story of the riot girl revolution was published by Harper Perennial in October, 2010. Marcus's prose and poetry have appeared or are forthcoming in publications, including the San Francisco Chronicle Slate, Salon, Book Forum, com, and Encyclopedia. She is a co-founder of New Herring Press, a micropress focusing on prose chapbooks. She received an MFA in creative writing from Columbia University. Um, so again, thanks for coming and, and being here today, Sarah. It's my pleasure. It's, um, so, So... When you were in the MFA program at Columbia, did you start? Is this when the project started? Or can you tell us about the genesis of the project? Because I love in your, your introduction how you talk about your life as a girl and taking the train in to D.C. And and sort of how you start framing what had you find, like trying to find this the Riot Girls, the group, some some sense of people who would understand you, perhaps. Um, so w- when did you know that you wanted to actually write this book and make it so— because it feels like a historical document now.
0: Um, I The idea to write the book came about actually before I went to get my MFA, and it was largely why I went to go get the MFA. I decided that I wanted to write the book because I saw that the history— was being um, was being told in ways that were skewing ever farther off from what I knew it had been, at least to me. Obviously, Riot Girl was very different to a lot of different people, but the um, the erasures and the selective memories were getting pretty extremely tilted in a certain direction, and I really wanted to be able to um, to veer the discussion back toward the experience that i had which was that and my friends as well that it was a it was a radical it was like a grassroots radical feminist movement of young women who didn't exactly know what we were doing but it was definitely more than like we're sick of being pushed to the side by boys at punk shows it was that way for a lot of people but i actually had never gone to a punk show before i got into riot girl i was a pissed off feminist who didn't have enough connection to a punk scene to even have been at a punk show to get pushed to the side by the
1: guys, so or to hold a coat or
0: yeah. yeah exactly and that you know that was a real experience for a lot of people but then there were a lot of other people who came to it through activism or you know or through looking for an outlet for their um, for their political impulses because
1: when you were when you were in was it high school you you started a group at your high school and you even you put up a bulletin board mm-hmm. and um,
0: well I, I started us? I started a feminist club at my high school because I read.
1: This article about in Newsweek about this thing called Riot Girl, and Newsweek of all things, like isn't that amazing that Newsweek mm-hmm. actually had enough like finger on the pulse to even know this was happening? Yeah, and it was written
0: by Farah Shadea, who's like you know she's a real she's out there doing important cultural journalism even now, cultural slash political journalism, um, and that was, and that was a, early in her since then quite illustrious mm-hmm. career. But, um, and that's, you know, that's a, a key tension in the book is that people who already were in the know about stuff were like, oh gosh, the media is, you know, we would rather not be in the media. In a lot of ways, I come down thinking that it wasn't wrong for people to want to not be in the media. But at the same time, it was good that certain things were able to come through and it was really good for me. So I read this Newsweek article and all of my sort of feminist activist yearnings that have been kind of bubbling along subcutaneously uh, are spoken to and react and so I go looking for the riot girls and I couldn't find them and but it had created in me a real motivation to do feminist things in general and so in um in 10th grade we had to interview somebody for a class for an english class and i decided i was going to interview the president of the national organization for women and who was patricia ireland and she was very um controversial at the time it had just come out that she had not only a husband but she had a you know a a female partner as well in a different city and they knew each about each other and is this bad for feminism's image and everything but i guess it was pretty good for its image um to me because it made (laughs) me want to interview her and of course she was too busy to be interviewed but i interviewed the um the national chapter coordinator. And at the end of the interview, I said, what can young women, what can teenagers do? And she said, you should start a club at your school. And so I did. And I started a club at my school, but it still wasn't enough. And it was too, um, it felt too conciliatory for me. I still wanted to be with these girls who were making a lot of noise and playing rock music and swearing and being... um, being uncompromising in their opposition
1: is, is to sexism. That, Sarah, is that the image then that you got cuz I never read the Newsweek article. So, but was that your imagination of them and then wanting to find them? And then I know at a certain point you um you get a zine and you write to the address? Mm-hmm. I got flyers or a flyer. Well, no,
0: I got I've got the address from Off Our Backs, which is a radical feminist newsletter that's published out of DC. And then they got the they did an article on the Riot Girls cuz they were, you know, non-corporate enough that riot girls were willing to do an interview. And you know, and again, that's an instance of really smart media tactics. I feel like it's gone down in history as like, oh, the riot girls were so naive to like not give interviews to all of the television channels who wanted interviews. You know, they could have really spread their word so far. But actually to give interviews selectively to things like off our backs, I think was a really good move. Because I was reading that publication every time I went to the bookstore, I would pick it up. And then here it is. Here's Riot Girl. Wrote to the thing, got the flyers back, started going to meetings. And that was how I got involved.
1: Yeah. And you actually felt, because um, in the book, you felt connected immediately at, mm. at that moment. Whereas later on, you talk about people's experiences that um, if they came to initial a meeting, like trying to 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 weigh like having people feel included but some people still you know
0: it's like anything where there's a social group that doesn't have a very strong external structure or infrastructure um, but is largely whatever the people sitting in the room make it out to be then there's going to be a social aspect if you get there and you click with the people you're in Lake Flint. And if you get there and there's a, a disconnect for whatever reason it might be harder for you to keep going back I was very fortunate that um i don't think it was fortunate really i think based on the people that i met from other cities through researching this book i think that you know there um i probably would have felt comfortable at radical groups in nearly any city because here were people who i had something really deep in common with which was if not a extant fearlessness at least a real um, commitment and determination to be as fearless as possible, and to really put our mark on the world, and to do it in a way that brought us closer to other people in our community instead of isolating us. And then there, you know, and there was also the intangibles of just like what kind of people you are. Most, most of the riot girls that I've met are, you know, we like to speak our mind, and um, and we're kind of mouthy and opinionated. And it can be kind of hard if you're. To, it was hard then anyway to be a girl with those traits and to feel like you had. Or even him. now. Well, I mean, I haven't. I haven't been a teenager in 2011, which is why I hedged. I don't know how it is now, but, um.
1: But it was um, it was tough for me, and then well, it got I, better. I love how in the book you do say um, that. Um, Like you were being told by teachers and different things that you were reading that when you were when you were a girl, like when you were in middle school, high school, that you can do anything. And then that Mm -hmm. wasn't your experience when you were actually going out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think from that, maybe, I mean, I don't want to make generalizations. Maybe we'll get a lot of calls from girls saying, no, everything's great. (laughs) But I'm thinking that some of the same things and, and this movement like Riot Girls, I mean, I. I can't imagine that there aren't girls trying to, I don't know, even to use the outside, like the looks of the movement still as like identifiers to each other. Hmm. So how did you um, decide to, to, well, actually, let's take a short break and then we'll come back. We'll talk about, we'll talk about structure, okay? Um, You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. On the program, Sarah Marcus, her book, Girls to the front. The true story of the Riot Girl Revolution will be back. You've got living writers. Um, today on the program, Sarah Marcus, her book Girls to the Front, the true story of the right Girl Revolution. Sarah, who were we just listening to? We we're,
0: were listening to Huggy Bear. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> awesome band, English, rad. That was off of a split 12 inch that Huggy Bear made with Bikini Kill um, in like 92, late 92, early 93. Great record kind of um cr- crunchy difficult production values but awesome songs.
1: I love how you also say that um you're always looking for well I think hopefully I'm not misquoting you um like to to make music like de skilled musical uh oh yeah I know, well I mean what I mean, what I what I referred to I think I said like deskilled
0: communal music making that I instigate and what I meant by that is that I have parties at my house where I play the piano and everybody sings. And, um, and I just try to do songs that everybody will know, you know, so like 80s power ballads, there's always some Beatles in
1: there. So sometimes Total Eclipse of the Heart gets in there? That that definitely gets
0: in there for real. Um, Nothing Compares to You is a big hit there. And then there's always something new. I really like to do, like, Since You've Been Gone and like the Taylor Swift songs. I'm into those. Um, and I was just noticing, like, um, Space Oddity by David Bowie is a really
1: great piano bar sing-along song space oddity yeah too bad we don't have time for we could do part of the show all music today. oh my god there's a piano in the studio look out I don't know um Liz is it tuned <laughs> We don't know. Thanks to Liz for engineering today, <laughs> Thank by the you way. Liz. Liz Waysen, you're awesome. Um, our, our intrepid leader here at the station is is actually engineering the show. Um, that's how important you are to us, Sarah Marcus, just so you know. Um, <laughs> Sarah's doing strong, muscular gestures. One day we'll have a little video cam. I was actually rooting through some of my papers here because um, there was an... Uh, it looked like... I think for... Was it with Slate? Mm -hmm. You did the back and forth? Oh, yeah, with Marissa.
0: With Marissa Meltzer, whose book Girl Power came out a few months before mine and touched on some of the same issues, but from different angles.
1: So did that, did you know Marissa before? Oh, yeah. and, And did you guys both know you were working on the books? She knew I was working on mine. Oh, no. Marissa, if you're listening, I think that's how you got your idea for your book.
0: No, but we're totally friends. It's totally fine. And I'm actually really grateful to her for putting the book out before mine, because it meant that when my book came out, I'd. A lot of the work of reminding people that something called Riot Girl had happened and was worth talking about had been done for me by the fact that her book came out. So I'm, you know, I think that our books are great compliments for each other because also... um her book talks a lot. Her book is only slightly about Riot Girl and it's more about how ideas about feminism or female empowerment like ran through the pop music that came after Riot Girl and that was a topic that people used to talk to me about and I would be like, "Oh god, I hope someone else <laughs> writes that book cuz that's not the book I want to write." So I'm so glad that she did it and that she took care of that and then I I did my thing and um
1: you know, she's she's wonderful. And, and well and that's great. Yeah. So a shout out to Marissa yeah, yeah, and her book Girl Power.
0: And it was also really lovely of her to have me. So when her book was coming out, she said, hey, do you want to do a dialogue with me on Slate? We can do a conversation when my book comes out. Her book was out about a year ago right now in February. So mine came out, whatever it is, eight months later. And so we did this dialogue and it was so fantastic. It was actually really wonderful of her to do that because her book was getting attention. And then I w- my, my name was sort of brought along with it. And I thought that we had a really raring conversation. I had a great time discussing these questions with her.
1: And with Slate, when they have conversations, does it mean that she would make like an actual post and then you'd respond? We Sarah, We did or? it over
0: email. We would send each other emails and we would send about one or two emails a day. And then when it was over, then we sent it to our editor, our friend Jess Gross, and she stuck it up online.
1: That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, yeah it is. It, it does approximate having you guys in the same room somehow, mm-hmm. like with your voices in the um, – because you, you both you, – you can tell who's speaking, um, with each uh, passage but anyway. Okay. So back to the music, Um, because for riot girl, like if they're, I don't know, like if we were to make a pie chart (laughs) um, like with riot girl, like the, the politics and, um, and writing, and maybe even in your own life, Sarah, like the writing, uh, what part does music play in what's actually driving the force of like the, the revolution?
0: I don't think that there could have been a Riot girl without the bands. I mean, the the bands were such an important way of spreading information town to town. This is a time before the Internet when the way that most things got spread was really direct, hand to hand, you know. And so you pick up a zine in one town and then you give it to somebody in the next town or they... um. You know, they would send out flyers in the mail to everybody who had shown up at their shows, and this was the way you couldn't just have a Facebook group and have people hit join. You had to, like, go town to town and collect everybody's mailing addresses and then mail them things. And it's certainly zine people can go on tour and do, but, you know, there's just something... Music is such a great way to get a real bunch of people in a room at one time and and get access kind of their their emotional the emotional centers of their brain and get them thinking about what matters to them and how they feel about their lives it's a really powerful tool and you know and the music that these bands made is awesome i still love listening to these bands
1: and so when because it actually when you were speaking sarah it reminded me of the part um the beginnings of the book when you're talking about um uh, bikini kill and heavens to betsy and and also the Driving across country in a van from mm-hmm. Olympia, Washington to D.C. Mm-hmm. and and spending a summer in D.C. Mm-hmm. and right, bratmobile as well and bratmobile yes and how that was in a way it seemed almost perfect like this symbolic like crossing of the country to show that it was a national um, movement or mm-hmm. a happening and so I don't know with the music for that that was Kathleen Hanna was part of that and it seems like you. Uh, with the structuring of the book, we kind of go to Bikini Kill first. Why? Why do you start there?
0: Because um, that was the first thing that happened. <laughs> no, really. Like the first thing that happened was Bikini Kill formed, and then they started playing shows. And then Bratmobile formed and they started playing shows. And then Bikini Kill and Bratmobile moved to DC for the summer of 1991 and called a meeting, you know? And (laughs) so then it goes on, you know, then the meeting started somewhere else and then there were meetings everywhere and then there was a convention and then there were other bands. But, um, you know, this this was the Genesis moment. So I'm like, in the beginning, someone told a girl to form a band. And that was, of course, Kathy Acker telling Kathleen Hanna If you want to be listened to and you want to get your word out, you should, instead of doing the spoken word thing that people find really annoying and nobody cares, you should play music. And she was like, okay, I will. Um, So, yeah, that was the first thing that happened. But, you know, even though that's chronologically the beginning of the book, the book actually doesn't begin there. It begins um, on this one-two punch of April 4th and April 5th, 1992, The march on Washington, the March for Women's Lives, which was um, convened by the National Organization for Women and the Feminist Majority, trying to, in in reaction to the fact that they thought Roe v. Wade was about to be overturned by the Supreme Court and, um, and the upcoming presidential and congressional elections. So that was on April 5th. And there were three quarters of a million people gathered on the National Mall. And the night before that, there was a benefit show and kind of a pep rally for the concert. And that was played by Bikini Kill and Fugazi and L7. So the the book actually begins there instead of the chronological genesis, because that's where everything comes together. The real close Congress of music and politics of also, you know, in I talk about the moment in the Bikini Kill set where Kathleen leans over and hands the mic to a teenage girl in the audience who then gets up on stage and starts screaming. And that right there, like those three things, the band playing, giving it to the girl and having her get up on stage and the political context. I mean, that sums up the whole book. And that's why I started it there. That's all of the elements that then run through.
1: Remind me, was that, was that girl Erica? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm Okay. Which and so that's sort of um,
0: and so Erica runs through the whole book and Kathleen and Bikini Kill run through pretty much the whole book. You know, a lot of Riot Girl was a thing that a lot of people participated in for a year or two years or even less, and um, and it was very important so that the book didn't feel choppy or repetitive. That I um, that I choose certain folks whose involvement lasted longer to draw us through the full narrative from start to finish,
1: and as a thread. Mm-hmm. Sort of and is, sure, is is that something you were um that you just had a gut sense of or is that one of those things that when you're um by going like having time a couple of years at a at a program, you start seeing how to structure things or what was your experience, Sarah?
0: Yeah, I mean I got a lot of help from my professors at Columbia and helping me see how to structure it. And I also actually got a lot of help from an editor who ended who loved my book and ended up not buying it. Um, for complicated reasons, but we had some very long conversations and one of them, he said, how many characters do you have in your book? And I counted it up in my head and I was like, 20. And he was like, okay, how far can you get that down? And I was like, um, maybe nine. And he was like, you need three. And I was like, oh crap, I can't I can't do this book with three characters. That's insane. But, um, but he made... He, he made me start to think about, okay, who can be the real linchpins of the narrative and everybody else can like come in and out in this kind of like choral way. But who are the soloists who go through the entire oratorio? Um, You know, and soloist is a weird word because I don't mean to imply, of course, solo, but soloist in the choral sense of they're in the chorus and sometimes they stand up and go, "Ah!" and then they go back and everybody's singing together.
1: You should just do the break, Sarah.
0: Oh, man. You know, I could sing some Bizet. I totally sang from Carmen at my 12th grade um, talent show. So that was my weird
1: punk rock slash opera shtick. Do you have any of it up your sleeve right now that you want to just belt out? Oh, goodness. Please don't ask me. (laughs) I haven't had enough to drink. Okay. That's true. Okay. No, I I hear that, actually. (laughs) Talk to me
0: tonight after the reading.
1: (laughs) Yes. I know. And if... uh, Yeah. eh, Hopefully, listeners will have had a chance to to hear you um, read, and then also the Q and A afterwards. Is that mm-hmm. always like for your Q and As? Are they do are people not shy around you, Sarah? Will they ask questions, or how do that yours some usually go? Some people ask
0: questions, but the people I want to hear the most from, which is the teenagers, often they're shy, and I'm just like, no, I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to know what you're doing. Talk to me, and they're like, oh, so they need they need some riot girl up in there their grill or whatever <laughs>
1: is that oh, just, is that a manly term though now that I say it I'm no, like I just grill meant up in there like <laughs>
0: T-H-E-R-E they need some riot girl up in there
1: you know period full stop ooh we're getting, we're getting this is this is where things get exciting <laughs> I didn't did that
0: I work as a copy editor hello <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and I go to go to break are you have you been connected in with neutral zone while you're here by oh my gosh yeah, yeah
0: some folks who hang out there came in yesterday and a high school student a sophomore Or, Junior interviewed me for her high school paper. And I met a couple kids from this organization called Riot Youth. So exciting. (laughs) Oh my God. I have a picture of them that's going up on my Tumblr as soon as I get my computer.
1: Wonderful. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more of the revolution brought to you today by Sarah Marcus, Girls to the Front, the true story of the Riot Girl revolution. We'll be back. got living writers on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T Hetzel. We've got Liz engineering today. And here in the studio, here in the studio, that's right, Sarah Marcus is here. And I might say, if you don't mind, Sarah, Sarah is singing through the break. So it would be, um, and hopefully some of you uh, were singing along. As you're listening. And, and so, who was that, Sarah?
0: That was Evans to Betsy. And if the voice sounds familiar to you, it's because the singer Corinne Tucker went on to be in a little band you may have heard of called Slater Kenny. And she just put out a solo record as the Corin Tucker band on Kill Rock Stars. You should listen to that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I love her voice. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, yeah, do Yeah, it, and she's probably like 20 in the song that we just heard. She's not a. Uh, She's a
1: kid. She's a kid with an amazing voice. And and so um, particular, which was what I was struck by, because I, yeah, I, I first heard her and Sleater Kenny. I don't think I knew um, when I was hearing Heavens to Betsy <laughs> or, yeah, uh, who they were. But, um, yeah, just her voice is incredible. So a shout out to Corin Tucker, mm-hmm. her new new album coming out okay so sarah would you mind reading something for us from from the book Get yeah a sense sure. of it.
0: and will you will you wave at me when i've t- talked for long enough okay yes <laughs> okay so this is just from the prologue which i was talking about before the break um and it's got a dateline and the dateline is april 4th 1992 sanctuary theater washington dc this band is on fire The lead singer is dancing with abandon, whipping her high-teased-out ponytail around, doing aerobics moves, occasionally flipping up the back of her dress to moon her bandmates. The guitar switches to wails of feedback, and Kathleen Hanna sings, Silence inside of me, silence inside, four times in a childlike voice, never budging from a single note. She stands stock still, looking plaintively at the audience and holding her left hand to her crotch, a gesture that twists the Madonna-esque virility pose into an act of pained protection. Then the guitarist tears into his chords again, and fed by the renewed clamor, Kathleen is instantly back in motion, leaning over as if she might... Vomit and roaring. I oh, resist with every inch and every breath. I oh, resist this psychic death. She screws her eyes tight, pushing the words from her body with visible effort. Tendons pop out on both sides of her neck. After the song screeches to a halt, she shifts unsteadily from foot to foot and turns away from the audience, pulling her dress down and back. Perhaps suddenly revealing if, whether she has revealed too much. The girls, the crew of girls up front cheer and yell. These are the Riot Girls, some of the Riot Girls anyway. Their movement, if one could call it that yet, began less than a year ago as a noisy message of female self-empowerment voiced by several punk musicians and a few of their friends and already it has evolved into a whole mess of things ranging from the half-formed to the full-blown. The girls are hawking wares tonight, silk-screened t-shirts and handmade zines, Xeroxed pamphlets made of full of poems, photographs, and typewritten rants. Near the end of the zine, there's a page with the words I want to scream, written in block letters across the top, and an unsigned monologue glitters with rage. I'm so angry, it says, that I don't know what to write, I just know that I want to write something, that I want to say something, that I want to scream something, something powerful and strong to make up for the helplessness that I feel now. I want to scream at the guy who told me that women should stop complaining because they already have all the rights that they need. I want to scream at my brothers who read the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue and who watch the Miss America pageant. I want to scream because I'm just as much of a human being as any man, but I don't always get treated like one. And I want to scream because no matter how much I scream, I worry no one will listen. So that's enough, right?
1: Yeah, that will. <laughs> thanks, Sarah. Thanks. And
0: so that, that yeah, so that was from the prologue of if anyone um, is just tuning in now of the book Girls to the Front, which can be found on the internet at girls to the front.com. And you'll probably yeah, and hopefully it's also in a lot of bookstores. People keep saying like, "Where can I get your book?" And I'm like, "Is there a bookstore in your town?" Like, it's probably there. And if it isn't, it would be very they can order good it. Yeah, to ask the store. Borders. Yeah, to tell the store you want to read it and that they
1: should order it. So, so from writing this book, have you been getting any letters like the the one that you sort of wrote when you? We're reaching out, and and also from when you're you're developing the character of Kathleen Hanna, where when she's going across on tour and girls are talking with her after the show, mm-hmm. um, have has that been happening? Oh Sarah? yeah,
0: I get letters and you know more emails than letters because, um but if I give people my mailing address, they often write me letters too. Um, I wish I had time to write back to more people in depth, but I am blocking out a lot of next week to write things back. I got an email recently from a 15-year-old girl in Colorado who was... She was like, I, I just read your book, and it made me realize how I really need to be involved in feminist activism. And I'm so angry about H.R. 3, and I really want to take some action on that. This is the you know, health care bill that's in Congress right now that is um, proposing to really dramatically curtail um, women's access to reproductive health um, services. And And she was like, can you please tell me what I should do to get involved and how I find people? And so I actually... I um I put that question out at the panel at Penn last week and I asked everybody their advice and Kathleen Hanna said I would tell her to go in somewhere and put up a flyer and then a girl in the front row said and you know I think that she should um make a blog and and write to other people who have blogs and then someone else said you know I think she should form meetings and it was interesting just the range of um of tactics but I'm looking forward to writing her back and then maybe making like a making something that I can send out to
1: people in general so that they don't have to wait so long. Yeah. I wonder if there could, well, if you, cause since you have, have the website for the book, maybe mm. if there's, you could make like a discussion, like a, like a discussion thread or something yeah, about it. Or
0: even, I mean, that's a great idea. And another idea is just like, write something for the website of if, you want to know how to take action and how to be a revolutionary in your own moment here are a couple ideas to get you started i should really do that thank you t (laughs) i'm writing this down or
1: maybe people could also make a posting on craigslist too like for um i don't know right
0: yeah. yeah. I don't
1: know if people do that kind of thing, but they might. <laughs> they might right. <laughs> I know. What what are the youth doing? What are the youth up to? Um, yeah. So this so so um with writing, Sarah, it seems yes. like that's actually since it's the living writers, I'm gonna mm-hmm. gonna go back to the the writing a little it's bit.
0: That's true, I write. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I love I love this that New Herring Press and Micro Press, focusing mm-hmm. on prose chapbooks. Yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh,
0: yeah, your that's project a, That's something I'm doing with three friends of mine who are incredible fiction writers, Jess Arndt, Sarah Jaffe and jason daniel schwartz and um and the four of us had just been talking for a long time about making something we didn't know if it would be a press or a journal or what. And then we came up with the idea of um of doing a press that made chat books because we all have um we have a pretty good sense of how we like objects to look and we also, we felt that in the literary world there was no we would always go to readings and events and feel a little bit like we weren't exactly where we belonged and there would be like a couple other people there that we felt kin with who also felt like they didn't belong and so then we thought well we should, you know we're all former punk rockers and you know Sarah Jaffe was in a band called Eraserata and um, Jason Schwartz played in a lot of bands and I played in a lot of bands and um, and and Jess is friends with a lot of um like visual artists who are really good about like creating collectives and creating bodies and and forming space that exemplifies whatever kind of community feel or group feel that you're missing in the world. And you know, that's what my book is about. So we're very excited to have like a platform a slate of events, and we're you know, we're putting out our first round of chat books this fall, and we have prose chat books by Lynn Tillman. Um who's an incredible writer that everybody should go and check out. Um, Deb Olin-Unfirth, another incredible writer, she just came out with a memoir called Revolution. This is really like plug the work of people I like day. <laughs> and then um, these two younger writers, um, Joseph Cardinale, who has a book that just came out on FC2, and Azarine Vliet Olumi, who was a New York person who left to go to Brown for her MFA and is now living in, I believe it's Portugal. Anyway, that's our first and round. And you have a website
1: too, so that people that has, could...
0: Yeah, newherringpress.tumblr.com. There's not much there now except for our contact info, but you can join the... You can join an email list for us, and then hear when our um, when our chat books are actually ready to be read.
1: And is it something? Is the group? Um, is the micropress also open to having people send things to them, or is it? We're more not like- at that point
0: yet. We just want to get our first round out and see how it goes, and get our process down without also being um, readers. Suddenly. Yeah, it's that feels like a little more than we can handle at the moment, and we'll see how things go
1: as time as time moves on. But some of the values of it are that you want to make something like an artifact that will be in the in the world.
0: Right. But, you know, it's sort of it's a little bit contradictory because we want to make artifacts. But also they're going to be these tiny um, paper chapbooks, probably stapled, not like perfect bound with hard covers or anything. They're going to be really a lot like zines. Um, and so they're they're sort of skating a line, you know, between like the the like exquisite object and the ephemeral. And we're really, you know, there's a lot of, of line skating going on in New Herring Press, and and the the feeling about the form is one of them for sure, the physical form.
1: But not the the desire to have a a platform the people that you like you said like this is like your day of saying like who who you love and support and Mm -hmm. and so this is just an extension of yeah
0: we just wanted to you know we're gonna have a benefit party in new york soon and we're excited to hold readings and just to like create events that we feel really good about um and that feel like home to us because that's the that's the diy spirit you know if you don't see what you want you go make it
1: yeah yeah and, and so, and now you're living in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. is that true? And so is your, do you have some, I, I don't know, is that a place where I, I imagine there's lots of uh, do it yourself spirit there as well, that you're constantly having to sort of fight off to get some of your own writing done or is it all seamless? I don't know <laughs>
0: if I'm fighting off a do it yourself spirit in order to do my writing. Uh, That's it's true. Not like that you would know, be there was a, a negative
1: warrior. <laughs> there
0: was a there was a person last night at my talk in the women's studies department who was like, um, "You should do another zine," and I was like, "You're right, I should." But I, after I like do all my other assignments, so in that way, maybe the fighting off the DIY spirit. But in general, in general, it's the corporate spirit that one has to fight off in New York in order to get one's work done. And um, and one must do that. And I left town for the most crucial portions of writing this book. I had to. And I'm in New York now, you know, to, uh, to be social and get ideas and get inspired and, you know, feel fired up by what other people do to make things that will be in conversation with them. But when it comes to really like going deep into my head and into my process, I'm going to try and leave again.
1: Yeah, because is that why you also thanked, I think, friends for their spare rooms? In yes, Florida?
0: in Portland,
1: and Troy, New York. Absolutely. Because some of it I thought might have been research based, too. but
0: um, It was both. You know, by the time I went to Troy, it was really just about like, I need to save money. Stop like working for money all the time because I'm never going to get this book out if I take every paid copy editing job that gets sent to me. Like just learn to say no to stuff and carve out the space for my own work. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. And it's real, it's real easy in New York because there's so much happening around you at every moment to just like be reactive and like, you know, slap at the hands of every hand that's coming out to you. And by I mean like a high five sort of slap, not like a, you know, punitive slap. I I have to explain things because I'm making gestures that explain what I mean. But the people in the radio can't hear the gestures.
1: The magic of radio. I know. It's problems. Yeah. Some of some flaws. Well, Today, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Sarah Marcus here in the studio today. Her book, Girls to the Front, the true story of the Riot Girl Revolution. We'll be back. Got living writers. I'm Tia Hetzel, and today on the program, Sarah Marcus, Girls to the Front, the true story of the riot girl revolution. I also liked how I think one of the blurbs, Sarah, um, I think Kathleen Hanna said... No, Kathleen didn't blurb it. Kim Gordon? Was it... or maybe it was...
0: Oh Kathleen said yes. something on her blog about um, it that happened that that wasn't on the book it wouldn't be it would wouldn't be right to have somebody who's in a book blurb it, but she did that's write, true <laughs> she did write a really, really nice thing on her blog when the book came out. I think maybe you're about to read it
1: um yeah i I love yeah Girls to the front is the first meticulously researched book about riot girl uh, and and basically Kathleen's saying she doesn't usually get behind projects like this because mm. they're really bad and i and and i I thought that that was wonderful that someone who actually would be could potentially be a pretty close and intense critic, critic um, actually believes in the project project is and and seems grateful that you did it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was a great um, it was a great feeling. I mean, in order to write the book, I had to really detach myself from any sense that anyone in the book was going to like it at all because it would have been really easy for me to just try and, like, please, please, please everybody. And, you know, there, I interviewed over 100 people for the book, so not everybody's going to get pleased. And I just, I really, I wanted to be fair to everybody. I wanted to be true to my sense of what was fair and not, um, not be a, a, a dirt digger, necessarily, um, because that's not what I'm about. As a writer and as a storyteller, but at the same time, um, I really just had to like close everybody out of the room and write on my own. And it was a, it was lovely gravy that the people in the book thought that I did a good job of
1: it. And did you have any idea when you you started the project that that would have to be something like a parameter that you set, or because with with nonfiction it seems like if you continue to write it.
0: I I actually, no, I mean, that actually was part of my process before I even committed to writing the book. I had been talking about writing this book for over a year, maybe two years before I got serious about it. And part of that was really working through through my need for approval
1: and trying to sort of um, suffocate that need. Is that something that you can have behind you, or is it just suffocated for this book? And then maybe for a, the next project, you have to kind of work through it again? Or do you think you've?
0: I'll certainly have to work through it again. It never really gets um, entirely extirpated, but and and it's not that it's all the time bad to look for approval. I mean. Our brains operate on reward systems and we look for things that make us feel good to keep doing them a certain way. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm writing something for an editor and the editor is like, that was a good job, it's OK that that kind of sp- triggers a, a little spurt of pleasure for me because it, it means that I'll keep writing good things, one hopes. Um and but yeah, I think I think that it's just what any nonfiction writer has to do is at some point be true to the, to one's own vision
1: for the work first and foremost. And and so Sarah, I, I know this will seem like it's coming out of. Left field, but it says that you you also write poems and and maybe stories, not just creative nonfiction, right? Mm-hmm. So when can you like can you remember or do you have like the early memories of being a girl and writing? Did you have like a notebook or? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, well you know
0: we had. I think that my first time writing was just like in kindergarten when we all got like the journals that we would dictate to our kindergarten teacher about. Um, but definitely by second grade, I wanted to be a writer and I had these little notebooks that would I would write stories in and I was already like, cons- oh, it's almost too embarrassing to say, but I can remember being like maybe nine and being like, ah, Sarah Marcus has been writing since she was five. <laughs>
1: That was part of your bio, right? <laughs> On the back of the, the folded like story. Can you remember like one of those stories? Like, sort of well,
0: I had a story published in the local paper when I was eight. That was my first published work. We talk it about called-
1: acknowledgement. It
0: was called Ellie and Me. And it was a story about a girl, a young girl who was the narrator of the book. And then an elephant, a young girl elephant, showed up at their house one day. And the young girl was like we're friends we have to keep her and so i play you know so the girl like plays on the front yard with ellie the elephant all afternoon and then the guy from the zoo comes to like pick her back up
1: um that was my first published work Well, I, may I be so bold as to suggest that New Herring Press actually <laughs> revisits that story. So you could have a children's book in the oh, micro press. Man. Oh, man. Sarah, this has been great. And, <laughs> and I, wish, I wish we had more call in any time um, to please be on the show. And thanks for the great musical choices that you. Oh, yeah. Um, we're
0: going to go out on a song by, called Shadow by the band Grass Widow, which is a contemporary band. And they wrote a whole thing in their press release about Please Don't Call Us riot girls because we are making music in 2010 2011 and it's insulting to constantly act like women making music could only be this one thing allow there to be a profusion of women making music yet you know they also cop to having been influenced by riot girl and i also just love their record past time which came out in the fall and is on co-rock stars and should be listened to by everybody who loves good music
1: thanks sarah thanks
0: so much for having me t it's been so much fun
1: Yes, um, you have girls to the and also wait for the blog, Sarah, Sarah Marcus at Tumblr.
0: It's Sarah no. and there's no H in my name. But you can also get to it from girls to the front.com, just click on blog. Yes,
1: yes. And Google is always, well, I was going to say always our friend, but anyway.
0: I think um, it is in, in this individual case, <laughs> if one is seeking certain specific things on the internet. Anyway, thank you, Ann Arbor. Thank you, WCVN. Thank you,
1: Liz. Thank you, T. And thank you, Sarah Marcus. Um, and bring back Ellie and I, okay? I, I want to see that. Sarah Marcus, her book, Girls to the Front, the true story of the Ryoko Revolution. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
2: Speaking of Riot Girls, you are listening to WCBN-FM. We will have Pussy Riot live being interviewed on the radio at 9 p.m. tonight. We want to invite you to stay tuned for that. They will also be appearing for the Penny Stamps lecture series at the Michigan Theater in Ann Arbor tomorrow at 5.05 p.m. Let's listen to a little bit of their music and then stay tuned for the Daily Sports Report and the Drive Time Polka Party. No matter just
3: because you как such a
4: You are listening to the Daily Sports Report on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.
2: Hello, everyone. You're listening to 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This is the Daily Sports Report kicking off just a few minutes early. Uh, Luckily, our previous hosts were able to um, give us a few extra minutes. So we're going to take full advantage of that on our last show of the week here. This is the last Daily Sports Report of the week. We're making way to the Penny Stamps lecture uh, tomorrow, that's going to start at 5:05 p.m. It's going to be continuing live from the Michigan Theater. That's going to start at 5:05 p.m. tomorrow. So, Daily Sports Report will not be on the air tomorrow. For today, I'm hosting uh, Andrew Hausman. I'm joined by Anna Bronnex, Dan Disler, Kevin Klein, and um, we're going to um, get get things underway here uh, with talking about um, a few recent developments in Michigan football. Um, They recently scheduled a series with uh, the Texas Longhorns, the the third most winning program in college football history. That's for 2024 and 2027, and that adds to Michigan's already illustrious list of um, future opponents. So what do you guys think of this addition to the schedule?
4: Well, I think Texas is a a national program, just like Michigan is. Obviously, um, both programs are a little down um, right now, but adding texas is a great addition. Um they're definitely a powerhouse and and with the new uh you know coach Charlie Strong, uh if if he's still there, he's definitely trying to get that program in the right direction just like uh Brady Hoke is with the uh Wolverines.
2: Yeah, I think another uh nice aspect of this of this matchup is that uh the the games will not be played at neutral sites. There's a lot of these new uh big games between traditional powers being played. They're going to be played here in Ann Arbor and uh, in Austin and, and Texas, and that could be a great experience for the fans, you know, who are current second graders, to come see a, a really powerful Texas team, a renewed Texas team, play against the, the Wolverines here. Yeah, good point there, Dan. Um, as you mentioned, it's the first game in the city is not until 2024, so that's when current third graders will be freshmen in college. So it's still a long way off in the future. But um, what's shaping up nicely for Michigan is their future schedule. They've, Dave Brandon has been often criticized for how weak the non-conference schedule was this year, but he's um, done his, definitely done his part to work ahead and really Wait, get some big-time opponents on the on, on the temple? schedule. Um, that includes Arkansas in 2018 and 19, Washington in 2020 and 21, also Virginia Tech in those same years, UCLA in 2022 and 23, Texas in 2024, Oklahoma 25 and 26, and then Texas in 2027 20, uh, as well. Uh, the first matchup in 2024 will be home in Ann Arbor, um, and then they'll travel to Austin, Texas for 2027. And which of these ma- future matchups really stand out to you guys going forward?
4: Well, I think UCLA um, is is a great uh, football program, a great football program now, um, uh, and and really up and coming, uh, competing with uh, UCA or uh, excuse me USC uh, t- to be um, that school in in California. So I think that's pretty intriguing. But to be honest, all these all these series are pretty intriguing because they are um, national teams and, and Power Five conference teams uh, to really boost the Wolverine schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a really good move for the school to organize this home at home because I mean, especially early in the season, uh, these games are played in August and uh, early September, early September, sorry. Um, it really could give them the boost that they need to make a name for themselves in the national spotlight. Um, especially how competitive it is, uh, to try and get one of those uh four playoff spots.
2: Yeah, definitely with the uh downfall that sort of the Michigan football has seen over the course of the past couple of years, uh definitely looking forward to the future matchups with Texas and the home and home series to really see how far both the programs have come with under the uh new direction of strong and uh, Hoke. And another uh key element here is uh Dave has done a good job scheduling in the home games for even um even years, which is when uh, with the future big ten schedules when Michigan will travel to both Michigan State and Ohio State, their two big, biggest rivals that will remain on the schedule with now with Notre Dame series being canceled for the foreseeable future. Their two biggest rivals are gonna be on the road during all even numbered years, 2014, 16, 18, etc. So Dave Brand has ensured that the big time home op- the big time opponents are coming, uh, a lot of times